0: This podcast is for parents like you, navigating the world of neurodiversity with love and compassion. I'm a neurodivergent mother of three amazing neurodivergent children and a board-certified music therapist. Our mission is to create a supportive space where you feel understood, connected, and inspired. With practical tips, strategies, and resources, we'll help you and your child thrive in your unique way. Join us as we dive deep into the diverse world of neurodivergent individuals, exploring topics like ADHD, autism, dyslexia, sensory processing challenges, and more. We'll cover it all to empower, educate, and uplift both neurodivergent individuals and those who walk alongside them. Together, we'll create a world where every brain is valued and celebrated. We're excited to embark on this enlightening journey with you. We are your hosts, Samantha Foote and Lauren Ross, and this is the Every Brain is Different podcast. Hi, welcome to Every Brain is Different. I am Samantha Foote, and we are here with Jandy Carter. Jandy, will you please introduce yourself?
1: Yes. Hi, my name is Jandy Carter, and I am related to Sam. We have been best friends since childhood and also best cousins.
0: For real. (laughs) you you're awesome um jandy used to come visit me she lived in utah i lived in oregon and she would come visit me every summer and we had a lot of fun
1: yes and we've like bonded over the years because we both have experienced children that have um special needs so we rely on each other just to understand how it feels to go through that in life
0: Yeah. So why don't you tell us a little more about that, like about how you're involved in the neurodivergent community, about your children, all of that.
1: Okay. Awesome. So I didn't have much experience with this at all. Like most people that just, you know, don't, don't have to deal with it till you need to deal with it. And um, my, I have three children, my first son, when he was, I don't know, maybe like a year old he wouldn't like look at us or, um, he wouldn't talk. He was nonverbal. And so he was displaying things that weren't typical, um, for children of his age. And so at that point, um, they told us to go see some specialists. And at the end of the day, what ended up happening is he was diagnosed with what was called at the time, which I hear is not a thing anymore, but it was called PDDNOS um which was kind of like a blanket like something is going on here you're on the spectrum but we just don't know what it is and so that threw me into the world um of learning uh what it meant and and what it meant for us i think that when you get thrown into to the spectrum um the you know autism was what we were told um then you kind of have to figure out what that means for you because everybody's experience is so different um but then I don't know you come together and you kind of you kind of feel the same way too about a lot of things so um so that's a little bit about that and then I have a daughter that has some reading challenges and we're still not sure what is going on there so some learning disabilities and then my third son um He was also nonverbal for a little bit and had to go through um, some preschool stuff. So for whatever reason, um, our family kind of has those challenges that we get to face. Yeah. (laughs) Is that good? Does that kind of tell why I'm in the world?
0: Yeah, yeah, for sure. Can you tell us a little more about the diagnostic process? Like, what did you have to, like, how long did you have to wait? What? tests were done um stuff like that I mean it's been a while so what you remember
1: yeah yeah I know I was kind of nervous for this interview because of that um because it's not new for me so I'm kind of talking about my son now is 14 and he was diagnosed officially when he was like 18 months old so it's funny how like time softens some of those memories Or maybe like we want to forget because we want to put it behind us. I don't know. But um, I'll tell you what I remember, right? My perspective, my point of view of of what happened. But uh, a doctor came in, told us to see a specialist. And um, I feel blessed about this part of it all the time. My mother-in-law had a lady in her ward, um, so in her church, that had a son that was severely autistic And so when, when they were kind of throwing around that term for my son, um, my mother-in-law talked to her friend and her friend was like, you need to go to get tested from Pingree. And Pingree is a private school for autistic children in Salt Lake City. And, um, they run a nonprofit like preschool program. And so you can go there and you can get tested. And if you qualify, you have to qualify financially. And then also, um, through the testing, if you qualify, then you are able to, your, your child's able to go there up until kindergarten. And then at kindergarten, it's no longer a nonprofit situation. And then you have to pay lots of money to go there if you want to. So we had a friend of the family who said, Hey, um, you know, go get tested. This will change your life. So fortunate for us. And I think about this all the time. Like had he, had he been born like 20 years earlier, he may not be the person he is today because it's, it's come so far and people know about it. Right. And people know a little bit more what to do. So anyhow, he, uh, we decided to get on the wait list at Pingree. So at 18 months old, we put him on the wait list for Pingree it takes a year for them to even see us. In the meantime, there's a thing in Salt Lake called early intervention. So for early intervention, um, you again have to qualify. So your pediatrician says, they give you the sheet to fill out. They look at your child and they say, okay, something's going on here. Um, they would They would always say like not functioning normally, right? And it's kind of, that's like a sidebar too. I always felt like I was always trying to be normal. I'm quoting, but you can't see yeah, me. Yeah. Trying to be normal um, and comparing him, you know, to like normal children and it, it it can get exhausting. But anyhow, so they said he wasn't normal in my words, right? That's what they're telling me. And so um, we start this early intervention, which means somebody comes to your house once a week and they teach us how to play. And they teach our child how to play um, and then we work on it and then the next week they come and, and the things we're working on are just like eye contact, um, appropriate play with different types of toys, and then verbal cues. So like repeating ball. Um, I remember at this stage in life, it was like one of those things where um, I worked three months to teach him how to say ball. And he said it one day and I was like, so excited. And then the next day he won't say ball. Right. And you're like, okay, that's not normal. Um, and so as far as diagnosis goes, we didn't ever go to a specialist on our own. We relied on our pediatrician to give us early intervention. And we did that for a year. Um, and actually two years, because well, we did early intervention where they came to our house for a year. And then when he was old enough, he went to the preschool that was through the state. Um, and then, and then Pingree called us and then we he was tested at Pingree and they gave us the official PDD-NOS, which is basically, we don't know what's going on, but there's something going on. And so you can go to um, preschool here. So he begins to go to preschool. He had to ride a bus an hour every day. It was eight hours a day. It was very, um, like a relief to me, but also, um, emotionally taxing because you're like sending your, I don't know, two or three-year-olds on a bus with strangers and you're hoping, um, that you can trust them and that it's okay. And, um, the thing about is that he looks completely typical. He, um, he, it's like one of those things, he's actually a really, really good kid. And so it was always like very confusing because he didn't, he was very high functioning. So he didn't feel like he belonged on that bus with kids that had to be seat belted in. Um, But we knew from at home and our experience that he also couldn't function um, in a typical setting either. And so that was kind of the that was part that was really challenging too is we're sending them to a place that we hope is the right place um and then we're hoping that we're doing the right thing and I think a lot of parents um get trapped in this where it's just like nobody can tell you exactly what to do or the right thing to do um but you I don't know you're trying your best you're hoping that you're doing it right um, and then in hindsight, you know, that you didn't do it right. Right. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. Like, you're like, Oh man, I could have done better. Right. But, um, so that's like kind of the long answer. So then, uh, in Pingree, um, he was there for a year and a half and the teacher comes to me and says, I don't think he belongs here anymore. This is a preschool setting to remind you. I don't think he belongs here anymore. Um, you need to, we, we recommend that you put him in a normal preschool setting. So of course, any parent that goes through this is like, Oh my gosh, that's amazing. You know, like, ah, all of our efforts have worked and all of this therapy, it was ABA therapy. Um, you know, learning how to sit still learning the alphabet. Um, you know, for years, he would touch my chin when he wanted to talk to me because he wanted me to look at him because that's what he was used to. Those Mm -hmm. sort of like coping skills. Um, but yeah, so she tells us that he needs to go to a normal setting. And so at that point, we go to a normal preschool by our house, um, typical preschool for a half a year. Um, things seem to be going good. Like I'm not getting any calls that things are not great, you know. And so I'm like, wow, we're out of the woods. This is excellent. Feeling good about things. Um all the meanwhile, we're having, uh, we're having experiences like team sports are not working out for us. Um, like we would, you know, we would try out for soccer, or we would play soccer and he didn't want to run with the other kids. Um, we tried basketball and he didn't like, enjoy like nothing team sports wise. We tried literally everything. It just didn't work. Like, coaches would literally have to hold him on their laps, um, to get him to just stay by the team. And so we know that that's not typical. We know that that's not, you know, we watch the other kids and we know that that's not normal. And so, uh, all the while the school's telling us, yeah, it's great, but we kind of know, like there's some challenges. And so, um, kindergarten starts and I, We think, you know, because we've been told by the other teacher that he should go to a normal setting and we feel good about it. Kindergarten starts and there's a lot of challenges. Um, Just, you know, at one point the teacher brought me in and showed me pictures. This is what the other kids are doing in class. This is what your kid does. So he was amazing because he's very smart and he knew his alphabet and he learned to read quickly. He can remember things. Um, but they would explain to me that he would, you know, in their words, space off or that he just wouldn't be interested in normal, um, activities at school. And so the school doesn't want him to stay there. That's the impression that they give me that they go, Oh, you need to find somewhere else. But the somewhere else Pingree, tells me he doesn't belong there. So we're at a point where I have this highly functioning, very smart child who just for whatever reason it's not working in a classroom setting. So my husband and I decide that if we try to push this and and this isn't the road for everyone, right? But we've thought if we can make it work in kindergarten, we'll just continue to make it work. Um, We thought our best chances were to try to, um, to try to force normalcy a little bit. So that in, in hopes that his future would be easier for him because he would have learned to cope. Um, and so that's our plan. Sorry, one second. That's our plan. That's what we're going with. Um, and so, you know, I fight with the teacher a little bit and say, you know, you say he doesn't belong here. They say he doesn't belong there. Um there's nowhere else we have to make this work. And, and, you know, mind you, we had been at Pingree with some very severe children and it didn't, it didn't make sense for him there. Um, And we had been to Carysuit Hamilton, which is uh, the special needs school in the Salt Lake Valley that the school district runs. It's not private. And that didn't seem like it made sense for him either. So, at this point, we're stuck with this. Sorry, <laughs> this beautiful child <laughs> that everybody says doesn't belong.
0: You know. Yeah, that's hard to hear. <laughs>
1: yeah, and so, um, in hopes that it was easier for him in the future, we really pushed the school to to um, move forward the the normal just elementary school normal public school that's by our you know by our house and um it was really hard for several years um like (laughs) he's just very funny like he just didn't have motivations that were the same as other people Mm -hmm. so like um you know they'd send homework home and he just didn't care to do it right and like it didn't to him even though he was smart it just like it he's like I don't I don't I don't know how to explain it except for just because you should do it is not a good enough reason to actually do it where other people get that nuance it feels like um and so he you know we begin this like torturous journey for both of us where we're forcing these things and um you know homework that should take 15 minutes is taking hours and uh, he's hiding his homework in the bushes because he doesn't want to bring it home. You know, like all of these things where we're constantly driving him back to the school because he forgot to pick up his backpack or he forgot his coat. And it feels like, mind you, I guess I should say, mind you, I've never had another child either. Right. At this point, like when he's never had a school age child, So I think now looking back, like I would be more forgiving on things because he's just being a kid. Yeah. But I didn't know. Right. I didn't know those like nuances of like what's pretty normal or what's not. Um, and so anyhow, we go through and then in, uh, we go through things like, uh, he eats things that are not normal. So we had to do like a food therapy program. And they were like, oh, 80% of people graduate this and they just do great. And, of course, you know, he's the 20% that it doesn't work on and it made him worse. Um, and, again, it's like it feel, you just don't know because you're like, am I actually torturing him or is this going to be, like, worth it in the end? Like, they would, part of their process was to, like, force feed things so that they could get used to the feeling of it because it's a textural thing Um, and you know, that wasn't successful for us, but you find ways to adapt. Like we, as a family, like at home, we have to try so many bites of things, Um, but in public, we don't force that because it became like a thing where when we go to parties or family things, you know, it's like too much. Yeah. And so I think you find ways to death. So we're experiencing all of this. And the reason I bring that up, he had a really great second grade teacher where he's eating pencils, lead and all, even the metal on the eraser, like he's eating pencils. So, you know, we find creative ways, like we put the serum on it that you use for sucking thumbs that make things taste bad. So, you know, I send him special pencils to school, um, that, don't taste good. Right. And then we try pens that don't taste good and all these different things. Um, so, so, you know, he, he, I want to say he learns, I'm not going to say he grew out of it. I'm going to say he learned coping skills. Um, and he does fabulous in third grade and fourth grade and fifth grade. Um, and he starts to be very independent in his learning he's getting good grades we always have you know that battle between like wanting to do things um and, and then we we find you know we stop pushing the school sports we stop pushing things and i maybe i mature a little bit and decide like we're just going to let him be who he is a little bit more and trust that he knows that more than i know that um And so, so yeah, he's, he's never, um, we've never had him tested again. And I'll, I'll be honest with you. He was being pretty functional um, and he was in a psychology class at school and his grades were okay. He's doing good at home. He's doing his homework. We feel like um, we're okay. And so we made the choice when he went into seventh grade that we weren't going to notify the new school that there ever was a diagnosis and we're not going to retest and we're going to not label him with that. I think that every time I talked to somebody, I, I gave the label as an excuse, you know, or, or gave the label to try to help people understand. And my husband and I were like, you know what, maybe if we take the label away and just let him be, maybe he'll have more success than mom running in there and trying to tell everybody of the things that he needs. Right. Yeah. And so our experience was, yeah, our experience was um, he went to seventh grade and he did fabulous and he tried out for the school play and realized that's a passion of his and the choir and all this time, you know, we are trying to force these school sports that just nobody was happy at. And I think that's just like maybe a learning curve as a parent, but like just letting them be who they want to be. And that doesn't mean it's easy. You know, there were lots of years where I felt like I had to push those things to try to gauge normalcy, to gauge gauge that he was okay, that I was okay, that we were okay. Um, and now I'm realizing, you know, with any child, you just kind of let them be who they are and then try to guide them. So, um, so that's like kind of hopefully not too long of the story, but, but um, a little bit about how, where we are today. So where we are today, he's in ninth grade. He doesn't have any special, um, any special courses or classes. I'd say that stress is hard for him but I think a lot of kids his age it is um you know I he we we moved recently which I think was one of the best things ever because he we lived where we lived for 10 years before where we live now and and everybody kind of knew about him um we moved and Josh and I both decided we weren't going to say anything we're just going to see how it shakes down and he's got a big group of friends. He's actually even got a girlfriend. He gets <laughs> mad when I say that. Yeah, he gets mad when I say that. He's got a girlfriend, seems healthy, seems good. So, um, you know, I, I was reading something the other day. Actually, no, I was listening to your podcast, Samantha, the other day, and I thought it was interesting. I don't remember her name, but She's like, oh, people think that kids grow out of like autism or ADHD or whatever, but it's actually, they just gain coping skills. And it really resonated with me. Like, okay, you know, it feels like he grew out of it, but it made me want to, I, I had actually talked to my husband about this, made me want to just check in with him and say, like, how are you doing? I think that I fall into the category of like, oh, everything's fine. We're just going to act like everything's fine. You yeah, know, yeah. like- Oh, school's, school's going good. He's got friends, you know, I'm just not gonna, not gonna approach it or talk about it or whatever. And so it was a good reminder to me to like, make sure that everything actually is fine. But, um, so as of right now, he doesn't have a diagnosis. We're not seeing doctors. We're not seeing psychologists. I think he's gained coping skills and our family's gained coping skills. Um, and so that is our experience with, um, but it's been positive. It's been good. But at the beginning, it was extremely difficult and so Sam, Sam, Samantha and I have talked about this several times. Like at the beginning, you have doctors saying like, Oh, he may never, um, live on his own. He may never get married. You know, you hear these things and I don't know, you don't know what to, you don't know what to expect. It almost feels like that idea of who you thought, you know, the child you thought you were going to have is, for lack of a better word, dead. You know, you have to kind of mourn the things that you thought or the dreams that you thought would happen. Um. But then, I mean, my story is that, like, maybe if you embrace those things and try to work through them, you, in my opinion, maybe get something better on the other end, you know. Um, but I have lots of friends that have children that were diagnosed at the same time and their stories are very different than mine. Um, you know, I have lots of friends that kids have lots and lots of intervention and therapy and challenges, um, that are different than mine that I would say, um, you know, are still in the thick of it. So, uh, that's, that's our experience. Yeah.
0: Well, thank you for sharing. I really like how you said to embrace the child that you have and just go from there. Because we've talked before about how you want your child to have the typical experiences that like we had growing up. But then, you know, you realize like, that's not what they want. And so learning to let go of the expectations that you had and just move forward with the expectations that they have for themselves, I think is really important. So I like that you brought that up.
1: Yeah. So smart, Sam. So smart. And I think I wish I could have done that earlier. However, I don't, I wouldn't want to change the outcome either. I think he's a good kid and he's doing great. Doesn't mean things are perfect, but I'm learning as I mature. um, It doesn't matter what your kid looks like, what they're into. um, Nobody's kid is perfect. And there's a very, 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 very big world with lots of different people that think differently and do things differently. And, um, if we can accept that we can enjoy it. Right. Yeah. That's great. Um, what do you want other
0: parents to know other than what you said? Like, is there anything else that you want parents to know who may be just getting a diagnosis or in the thick of it right now? Anything like that?
1: Yeah, I would say, um, that, first and foremost like it's going to be okay the things that you're scared of now um you will you will find ways um to be strong that um that's what it takes right is like that mental, um there, it's exhausting there are days where I was just like it is a roller coaster one day you think things are going great and then the next day a teacher tells you that they're not or a therapist or a friend or whatever and so just like know that it's a roller coaster and know that it's okay and like try to enjoy it I think I wish I would have tried to enjoy the person I was earlier um instead of just trying to Force agendas more, you know? So, yeah. and try to get to know them, try to get to understand and enjoy it while you're on that roller coaster.
0: Yeah. I think it's hard to enjoy it when you have doctors and therapists saying, Your child is never going to do this. They're never, because I remember you telling me, like, the doctor said, He's never going to live on his own. He's never going to get married. He's never going to, like, live independently or have a job or anything like that. And so you just want them to succeed in the way that we think is you know, typical for succeeding. And so you're just trying to do what the doctors and the therapists and everyone tells you to do. And it's hard to navigate what's best for your family and what's best for your child, even if it means not doing those things that the doctors and the therapists and the teachers and everyone tells you to do, like standing and being... Um, Mm -hmm. assertive enough to be like no this is what we're doing and feel confident in that decision when everyone's telling you no you need to do it this way
1: yes a hundred percent like I you know I had to fight for him a lot because no one else is going to and so I think like just keep your head up and like know what you know right it's just like the teacher that told me he didn't belong at school had I taken him out of school, what would have happened? I don't know. And maybe he would have been better off. I don't know, but I'm happy with where we're at, you know, and I accept where we're at. And so I think that that's, that's really smart. And I think that's the key to it is this doesn't have to end happiness, but it is frustrating. I mean, we've talked about this a lot, but it's so frustrating when you feel like, oh my gosh, all I do is put efforts into things that come so easily to other people. I mean, it's the most frustrating thing in the world Mm -hmm. um, to just, you know, and like it hurts your mom hard or your dad hard or whatever, when you're just like, why do we have to do speech therapy when other kids get to learn to ride their bike or, you know, why do we have to do and and it can it can be a lot. It can be hard. But I think that's the point. Like I wish I would have maybe found more joy in those things instead of the hard things. But it's incredibly for me, for me, it was incredibly painful. Mm-hmm. Um for a lot of years. Just um we have lots of cousins the same age, lots of family member that we're with. And um my heart broke a lot, you know, uh watching what my kids had to go through. But as I mature, you know, I have a, I have a niece that has type one diabetes and I have, you know, you start to look around and you realize you're really not alone in this battle. There's lots of people with lots of different things and it's just, can you do your best with what you've got?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Is there anything else you want to share with our audience? I really appreciate you and your time coming on here.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, I don't, I don't know, but, um, if anybody needs to talk or needs an ear, you can always reach out to me, like reach out to Samantha and she'll prove it and send you on. Um, I'm happy to talk about my experience and I'm happy to, you know, just, I just want to tell you, it's going to be okay. Um, and there's, there's so much beauty at the end of the journey and, and during the journey. That's all I guess.
0: Yeah. Well, thank you. We appreciate you. Thank you for listening to this episode. We hope the discussion on neurodiversity has provided you with support, understanding,
1: and inspiration. If you found our podcast valuable, please share it with others who may benefit from our insights and leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Hit the follow button and let's keep exploring the fascinating world of neurodiversity. Click the link in our show notes to visit our website for a free download of three tips for a stronger relationship with your child.